Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through the entire Bible. Again, Solomon did not include what we're going to study today in his version of the book of Proverbs. For 200 years, Proverbs ended at chapter 24. Proverbs 26, verse number 18. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am I not in sport? Literally, what that means is, I was just joking. Every preacher has moments where the Lord shows him something that he's missed for his entire life. This morning, the Lord showed me something about this passage right here. I prepared this three weeks ago. I know exactly what I'm going to say. And on the way here, it's as though God hit me in the side of the head and He showed me something in that verse that never clicked. I've always seen it, but it never clicked. I have always, my whole life, had a problem with these two verses. Always. Because I'm the class clown. Always have been the class clown. Somewhere I learned that if you can make people laugh, they like you. That is not true. Every joke is rooted in truth. Now, every jokester knows that, and that's why he tells the joke. Every comedian knows that, that's why he tells the joke. Every sarcastic remark ever made is rooted in truth, that's why it was said. The reason that we and this hit me this morning the reason that we do it in a joke is we think we're softening the blow we think we're saying a truth that you'll get it but you won't be mad at us for saying it John 19.3 those soldiers that took Jesus and put the, the crown of thorns and a robe on his head and said hail king of the Jews and they smote it with their hands. When they are judged for this, and they will be, I wonder if they will say, I was just joking. Oh Remember, these are Roman soldiers. They had no claim to Jesus. They didn't care about Jesus. Their whole job in life was to kill people. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of people were crucified. By the way, I was talking to a Jew not long ago. And he said, there was three people crucified. How do they know which one was the real Savior? I said, prophecy. Prophecy pointed to one of the three. And he, he didn't want to hear about the prophecy at that point. But it wasn't just a matter of being crucified. The Romans crucified thousands of people. And these Roman soldiers, that's what they did. They mocked people. And I submit to you, when they said that to him, they were just joking. They were doing it in a very cruel way because that was their job to do it in a cruel way. But when they get before the throne of God, can they say, I was just joking? I'm telling you folks, this hit me this morning. Most of this was already written, but something hit me this morning. No one 
thinks sarcasm is simple humor. But every sarcastic person is trying to soften the blow by being sarcastic. Every, I'm the king. Every single sarcastic person is trying to say it in a way that you'll smile and not get mad at me for saying it, but it's rooted in truth. That's why I said it in the first place. It's not simple humor. It's firebrands, arrows, and death, and the Lord showed me this this morning. Comedy does not soften the blow. How in the world did I miss that for 57 years? Comedy does not soften the blow. Comedy makes it worse. Say, wait a second. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. I'm sarcastic because I'm trying to soften the blow. No, comedy actually makes the blow harder according to Proverbs 26, verse 18. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith him an honest word. If I say I was just joking, that makes it worse. Never saw it. Always, I thought, my intentions are good. I'm trying to, 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 to be nice, communicate a truth, but at the same time, not make them angry. It's so sarcasm. Well, it's sarcasm. I, I, I've told millions of sarcastic jokes. Millions. Sarcasm is a way to do it with the person in front of you. It's not gossip because they're right there. I need to remember that no one thinks sarcasm is simple humor. I need to remember it makes things worse. I can't remember how many times I've had to apologize for it. And every time, every time, I thought to myself, I'm never going to do it again. This hurts too much. It hurts them, it hurts me, I'm not going to do it again. And I'll be in a tense situation and I'll think, somebody needs to say something. But I'm too chicken to say it head on. So I'll come up with a funny way to say it. I've got to remember it makes it worse. I've got to remember that. Solomon wrote this but did not add it. I think he may have thought he had covered our words enough. And I'll be honest with you. Teaching the Proverbs, it's been a little difficult to come up with something new to say when he gets on gossip because he's been on it so much. I think Solomon at this point thinks that problem's solved. Hezekiah's men are going to spend 11 verses straight on it. That's all we're going to talk about as our words this morning. We may get done, we may not. I kind of hope we do. But um, uh, see, that's the sarcasm again. I've got to stop doing that. 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. What if the tail being bared, the tailbearer, is telling the truth? Does that make it okay? I submit to you, no. It doesn't matter if it's the truth. In fact, this also hit me this morning. No one, and I mean no one who gossips, is intending to tell a lie. No one, that everyone, everyone who ever gossiped, or an easier way to put it is talk when someone couldn't hear, okay, 
it just sounds not as mean. Everyone who ever did it thought they were telling the truth. It doesn't matter if it's the truth. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out, so where there is no talebearer, the strife ceases. Folks, this problem is endless. We can read Proverbs over and over and over and over again and bring it up, tie back, and it's still going to naturally come back. You know why that is? Because we're scared to face head-on the issue. In our mind, there is an issue that needs to be fixed, but I don't want to be the person that gets in trouble, and so I'm just going to throw a hint out there, and I'm going to make them smile. And they'll get it. But they never do. They just get their feelings hurt. This problem is endless. We can starve it, though. The fire can go out. The strife can seep, according to this verse. We can starve this issue. How? Find a way to stop listening. Where no wood is, it goes out. Where no tail bear, it goes out. This is not telling us to stay away from people because we cannot ever get away from people who gossip. We all do it. Find a way to take the wood away. Find a way to stop the tail. We don't have to be rude. This is important. We don't have to be rude. In my experience, the best way to accomplish this is simply suggesting the person be there. In my experience. Your experience may be different. But folks, we've got to get ourselves under control, including me. More so than I thought even this morning. 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is the contentious man to kindle strife. He makes it worse. But what is contentious? A lot of times in the King James, we see these words and we're, we spread them so many times like I did in firebrands, we just kind of scoot over. What is contentious? Contentious is likely to cause an argument. Now, what I'm going to talk about now is very, very important in our today, the day we, which we live in the church, in which from a couple of weeks ago. Very, very important. So should we stay away from any topic that's controversial? As coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a person likely to cause an argument to kindle strife. To avoid the strife, should I avoid the controversy? A lot of churches today, and I mean a lot of churches today, say yes. Just avoid it. They don't take a stand on anything except Jesus is the only way to God. They major on the majors, not minor on the minors. The problem is the minors are not minor. They're in God's Word. They mean something. So what happens is people just smooth the Bible over. God loves everybody. That's where that came from. Just smooth it over. you got to ignore 150 different passages to come up with God loves everybody. you got to ignore them. They just don't exist. But if we're just smoothing it over, skipping the words that we've seen so many times, not thinking about what it really means. 
at that point we have to take a stand. We don't have to be mean, but we have to take a stand. If not, every Catholic church, every Methodist church, every Baptist church, every Lutheran church, uh, and soon the Mormon churches will join in. We're all going to be so-and-so church. And people are going to go there and it's just going to be nice and we love everybody. It's going to be fun. You get a lot of people. Singing gets great. That's happened in this room. We filled this place up, had Gail the piano, and we have had a good time with the music. These other churches, that's what they got now. They've got it right now. But they don't take a stand on these divisive topics because it's like, it doesn't really matter what you believe. I mean, Michelle can believe something. Wade can believe something different. Lauren believes something different. As long as we don't talk about it, we just love everybody to get along. We don't want contention. What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about a church avoiding difficulty? I'm going to show you. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you. They did not obey Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 21. I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies of what? There must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Paul says this stuff has to be brought up because it's God's word. What is heresy? This is a, a very, very interesting word because all denominations use it about all the other denominations. Yep. What we teach here, every other denomination says it's heresy. Yep. But, you know, what they're teaching, it's actually heresy. Yep. How do you know the difference? You've got to take the Bible. Got a call yesterday from a couple who was researching something and they said, and the comments, my Bible says such and such. I said, ignore the comments. But it's, it's in my Bible. I said, it shouldn't be. It, just look at what the Bible says. Study what the Bible says. Forget what that preacher added into it. You know what? I don't see what he sees. wonder why he does. There must be these problems so that those who are wrong will be shown how to be right. If not, the whole church just gets shallower and shallower and shallower and shallower until we don't believe anything except we believe in this guy that loves everybody. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid contentions. Avoid knowing that they do gender stripes. It's exactly what Proverbs 26, 21 says. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Why? Because he is in fact teaching. He's not just going along to get along. He is in fact teaching. It's the way that we bring this stuff out that makes not contentious, in meekness, power under control is what meekness means, instructing those that oppose themselves. But it's not that big a deal. What, really, what difference does it make if, if you use grape juice or wine? What difference does it make? 
over the years, I couldn't tell you the number of people that have left the church that I was a part of because we used wine. And in my mind, it's like, I just don't get it. It's what Jesus used. Why is that such a big deal to them? And they're looking at me saying, why is that such a big deal to you? Can't we just get along? Instructing those that oppose themselves. If it didn't matter, it wouldn't be in Scripture. The teaching would not be in Scripture. It's in Scripture so that we can learn from it and respond to it. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance or change. That's what it means to turn. It's not necessarily turning from sin. It's making a turn. God himself repents. He makes a turn. That's all it is. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If we don't teach the truth, how are they going to acknowledge the truth? Once we stop teaching Scripture, there's no reason to exist anymore. And a lot of churches are already there. And i got a feeling you can think of one or two right now because they're on TV. They don't even try. We just love everybody. But they may recover themselves out of the stare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. These are saved people. They didn't lose their salvation. They're saved people. How are they captive? They're captive in the fact that they will not respond to truth. They just won't do it. I know that says this, but I don't believe it. I know that says this, but I believe this over here. Well, how do the two work together? I don't know. If you can't answer how the two work together, what we believe is wrong. Simple as that. If the two can't work together, I believe in something wrong about at least one, maybe both of them, because they're both true. Chester Osgood sat right here when he would visit, could not settle with the fact that Grandpa King, Dad, me, Donnie Adams, we were just we were convinced of sovereign grace, and Chester could not make a C. He said, but whosoever will, I said, they won't. Whosoever will, they won't. He said, I believe whosoever will. I said, I do too. But this other verse says they won't. He would never respond to the other verse. He would never respond to any of the sovereign grace verses because this was his verse. His verse has to fit with my verses. My verses have to fit with his verses. Once we can help each other come together, now we are bound together in the truth. And we're losing that. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. What if the tale is true? Doesn't matter if the tale is true. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I can't imagine anybody would. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Has anyone purposely told a lie about someone who wasn't there? Don't raise your hand. I, I hope nobody can. We wouldn't do it if we thought it was a lie. We think it is the truth and that's why we do it. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Things might be different if we could see the pain talking about people causes. Imagine if every time I said something about Wade that I would not say around him, his arm started to bleed. What if we could see it? 
don't know about you, but all of us have scars from being gossiped about. Knife in the back. You didn't hear it, you just heard about it. How do I know this hurts? As you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. I don't want anybody talking about me, and you don't want anybody talking about you. I had a lady at Park Ridge years ago, she would say, I want to talk about me, that gives everybody else a break. Until she found out what somebody said, that you could come to church. Quit. I actually asked her, I said, well, what about, she said, I was joking. If we don't want people talking about us, don't talk about them. Amen. But we all do it. I'm about you. My feet are stomped on. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. I learned something about this verse too. This does not say doing wrong is like covering pottery with silver. Some of the commentators say it's like covering pottery with silver. That is not what that says. The Hebrew says this, hotly pursue language, evil, heart, clay, overlay, silver, but there's one more word, impurity. Impurity. Just color them and write it just word for word, translating them word for word. Angry speech from an evil heart is like clay covered with the impurity that is taken from silver. That's what it says. It's not pretty at all. It's like trying to pretty it up and just making it worse. Angry speech from an evil heart is totally worthless. I don't have an evil heart. And again, I'm stomping on myself. How do I know if my heart is evil? I ain't got the guts to say it in front of you. Scripture says you got a problem, go one-on-one -on -one privately. I don't want to do that. That comes from an evil heart. Doesn't mean the whole topic is evil. Just means I'm starting out evil in how I respond to it. And it's totally worthless. If a topic makes us angry, and a lot of topics make me angry, if a topic makes me angry, find it in the Bible, quote the verse. Find it in the Bible, quote the verse. I don't know about you, the problem is, is when I need the verse, I don't have it in my head. If it's important enough, pull them aside privately and say, hey, you said something yesterday that I want to discuss with you, and this is what I see in the Bible. Well, it would lose its punch, then back to the evil heart. Do I really want to help them grow, or I just want to give them a nice little black eye? What if I could see the black eye that I just gave them? If we can't, quote the verse, hold it in. And this is hard. Why is it so hard to hold it in? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as you at that. All the other stuff, you're better than me. But that right there, I'm better than you, and I'm going to remind you that I am better than you at that. It makes us feel a little better. 
Hold it in. Or we make ourselves look ugly, is what that verse says. Burning lips and a wicked heart, handling things the wrong way, are like a potsherd or topic or a pottery covered with the the impurity that comes from silver. It's not even pretty. You can try to make it pretty, it's not, because people can see right through it. 24. He that hateth, we gotta deal with this. Hate is the opposite of love. It has nothing to do with feeling. It has nothing to do with feeling. 1 Corinthians 13 will tell us what hate is. Charity suffereth long, therefore hate suffereth short. Hate is quick-tempered. Charity is kind. Hate is not kind. Charity envieth not. Hate always envies. It's not a feeling, it's an action. Just like love's an action, hate is an action. Charity vaunteth not itself. Hate is always focused on itself. Is not puffed up. Hate is always proud because I'm better. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Hate always behaves unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Hate always seeks its own. Not easily provoked. This one here is the telltale sign. This is the telltale sign of hate. Thinketh no evil. We can twist that one around, but bottom line is like, there's no way that this is good. This is not. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Hate loves it. Loves it. They don't want the iniquity to go on. They just want to feel good that they're not part of it. Rejoiceth in the truth. Hate hates the truth. Beareth all things. Hate won't bear anything. Believeth all things. Hate constantly assumes something that somebody's lying. Well, they said this, but you really know what happened. There's a person in my life. I'm not going to say who it is. This person likes to do 2 plus 2 equals 37. For instance, fire truck on the road. They can come up with the entire story of what the fire truck's doing. As long as they use the word probably, he's probably this. You know what I say every single time and this makes that person crazy? I said, you're probably wrong. Just the odds of that one specific thing happening just from a fire truck's iron, you are probably wrong. Where to stop? Hope with all things. Hate wants to give up. Hate says it's never going to get better. I submit to you it can because the Bible tells us how to do it. Endureth all things. Hate says I've had enough. I've had enough. He that hateth dissembleth. What is dissembleth? Not disassemble. It is not disassemble. That word actually means recognize. The word means recognize. I did not know this. The opposite of love reveals itself. With his lips, 
The opposite of love reveals itself in spite of what it says, not by what it says, in spite of what it says. And layeth up deceit within him, which fits with the verse, regardless of what it sounds like. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. It's not real. If he's not being kind, it's not real. Don't believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. What are the seven abominations that are in this guy's heart? Seven is a symbol of completeness, is it not? All the abominations. All of them. 26, whose hatred is covered by deceit. Folks, that hit me. It hit me hard. Notice he says, layeth up the seed, covered by the seed, twice in this one proverb. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. They will see it too. I never saw dissembleth as being revealing or recognizing. I always saw dissembleth. He's being destructive, and eventually the congregation will see it. So all I got to do is just make sure that I keep them out of it. It's not what it says at all. It says, if you do it, people will see through it. If you do it, people will see through it. Actions speak louder than words. What we say has been covered so much in Proverbs that at this point it's just obvious. Or is it? Wasn't obvious to me. I learned something this morning. No one is fooled. And I suspect in some of your minds, some of y'all thought, how in the world did he ever not know that? I've known that my whole life. I've heard things like that for years. How did you not know that? It never clicked. Why? Because nothing clicks without the Holy Spirit showing it to us. And I submit to you, the Holy Spirit showed it to me this morning for this lesson. And a reminder that we're not done. None of us are done. <clears throat> 27. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth the stone it will return upon him. This proverb never made sense because it never happens unless you put it in context. Unless you put it in context, before and after he's talking about words, so he's figuratively saying, using your words to dig a pit, using your words to roll a stone. Whoever uses his words to harm somebody else, it will come back. Rarely does it happen immediately, but every sin gets justice. In context, harmful talk will bite back. I've known it for years. So I tried to cover it in comedy. I can't believe I never saw that. Ironically, it's the justification for doing it. I don't want it to come back. I want to say it nicely so they'll get it and everybody will be happy. It doesn't work that way. Not if Proverbs is true. He said, so I say. So he says, 
So I say, and it gets worse and worse and worse. You may have heard this. I believe it to be true, but in case you haven't, I'm going to say it again. There was a person, I don't know if it was a male or female, doesn't matter. There was a person who spread some news that they thought was true and found out seven days later it was not in fact true. And this person felt horrible about it because they had spread this thing they thought was true and it really wasn't. They searched the Bible trying what to do, what to do, what to do. They finally went to their preacher and says, this is what happened. I've got to figure out a way to fix it. He told this person, it's been seven days. I want you to take a piece of paper and tear it in seven pieces. How many people did you tell? They said four. He said, I want you to take those seven pieces and tear each of them and do four pieces. So now we get 28 pieces. He said, now what you did is you released it, right? She said, or he, I don't know who it was. Yes. He said, go outside and when a breeze comes, I want you to release those 28 pieces. Then come back in. The person said, I don't understand, I don't understand. He said, come back tomorrow and you'll understand. The person came back the next day. The preacher said, go collect the 28 pieces. For hours, this person looked. Could not find half of them. Some of them this person did find. But about half of them were just gone came back to the preacher and said, Preacher, I'm sorry I couldn't do it. He said, that's why the Bible doesn't tell you how to do it. You cannot get it back. All we can do is learn from the dumb stuff we've done before and thank God that Jesus paid for that stuff. But we have to learn from it. I have to learn from it. Be the one to stop the cycle. Even if it's true. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Again, let's ask the question, does a liar always feel hatred? I forgot that was on there. Good question. Does a liar always feel hatred? I can't speak for you, I can speak for me. When I lie to someone, I try to make it little. Try to make it little, not big but I'm doing it because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. A lot easier to make a sarcastic joke and tell the truth, but sometimes they can see through that, and so it's like, I'll just bend it a little. But I never ever do that because I want to hurt them. The people I want to hurt, I tell them straight out. But the action of hatred, is it kind? Is it patient? No, it's simply misdirecting them and they're going to act on what they thought was the truth and next thing you know they find out what the real truth is and then they're hurt. 
Often we are tempted to lie to protect them, but it doesn't work that way. It makes it worse. Hatred is not a feeling. It's love in reverse. That doesn't mean, though, we have to hurt them. How can I tell the truth that can be hurtful in a non-hurtful way? This is biblical, what I'm going to show you now. 1 Samuel 16, we're going to see it happen. Verse number 1, 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him for reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Verse 2. Samuel says, How can I do that? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Not the devil, not the serpent, the Lord said, the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Did God tell him to lie? No. Because there's always a sacrifice with anointing somebody. Call Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto him. Well, anoint me on him who I name unto thee, which is how David became the anointed next king, but did not become the king for years after that. They fought. Tell the truth. Absolutely tell. Don't lie. Tell the truth, but not more than they need to know. We don't have to tell people what they don't need to know. How do I know that? We're going to see this again in Proverbs 29. We don't have to hurt people. We should tell the truth. This verse right here changed what I did not long ago. It convicted me because I was very, very tempted to misdirect a situation so that the person would not get hurt by what I felt I needed to do. And it kept coming back, if you lie, you're gonna make it worse. If you lie, you're gonna make it worse. But you don't have to tell why you're doing it, just tell them what you are doing, and that's exactly what I said. I am doing this. You know what? They didn't ask. I am doing this, which is what I am doing, they didn't even know why it was none of their business. At that point, I have fulfilled Scripture. Now, I know that goes against everything we learned in Sunday school. A half a truth is a whole lie. We don't have to tell everything, and three different times in the Bible it tells us that. A flattering mouth worketh ruin. There's a difference between flattery and praise. <coughs> We're told to praise God. We're told to praise each other. We're told to praise our kid. But flattery is not. What is the difference between flattery and praise? Praise gives credit for specific acts. You did this. When we praise God, you did this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. That's praising God for something he did. It's not flattery. It's simple giving him credit for what he did. Flattery gives unearned credit. You're such a wonderful person. Doug, you're a good boy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was it flattery or praise? See, this stuff will open your eyes. 
It's like, whoa, wait a second, that happened. But we don't want to talk bad about Grandma. Well, it's the truth. She was flattering him. She wanted him to feel good. But no specific act was she talking about. She certainly wasn't talking about every single thing he ever did. Flattery is not helpful. It just makes the person feel better about themselves. It gives a confidence that the person should not have. Praise, direct. You did this, now let's try to do this. That's the way to do it. You did this, now let's try to do this. But to say, you're a good boy. Sorry that doesn't fly. The ruin comes when they are not prepared for a situation that requires skill. Mama said, I'm a good boy. Every mother says that. Sorry, but every mother does. I know this sounds uncomfortable because it's like, man, she's dead. You can't be talking about it. It's a real example of the passage. That's what we are called to do as Christians is to teach people with real examples. The best illustration is marriage, and I'm going to end right here. Before the wedding, they can do no wrong. Ten minutes after the wedding, that completely goes away. Before the wedding, they can do no wrong. Ten minutes after the wedding, that is gone. Why? Because everything before the wedding was flattery. Everything after the wedding is specific acts. There's a difference between the two. Father, thank you so much for opening my eyes. Please open the eyes of Christians and churches who are doing things they don't even know is harmful. At the very least, help us not to participate. Please give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.